I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your author of the Thoughts on Money blog and your host of the Thoughts on Money podcast. And I'm here with none other than Mr. Sean Latimer. Hello. I'm fired up about today's article. Yeah, you feeling good? No, I'm not feeling good. It's just a topic I really want to talk about. And uh, I know I had difficulty organizing it and getting my thoughts through, but I'm I'm excited to talk about it. So I called this article, What Are You Aiming At? I opened up with a story from the 2004 Olympics, a story you were not familiar with. Nope. This poor gentleman who we are going to put on blast on this podcast, who has become kind of the centerpiece for a lot of sermons and articles. Uh, he was a rifle shooter or is a rifleman, and he was the favored to win. He was coming up to the last target. He did all his normal processes or however you would define that. Um, you know, the controlled breathing, light on the trigger finger, calibrating to the target, and he shot and he hit a bullseye. But he didn't hear that confirmation ring that you get, and then he realized that he hit the bullseye of the wrong target. He went from winning gold at the 2004 Olympics in Athens to eighth place. That is quite disappointing. That's awful. I uh, I didn't know the story. I think I've heard of it, but... Wow, that was a really good analogy for what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, it just led me to say, what are you aiming at? I come across a lot of clients, or actually, sorry, let me rephrase that. I come across a lot of potential clients or friends that push across the table to me a portfolio, and they say, hey, take a look at this and give me feedback. Is this a good portfolio? Yeah, I think, uh, like you mentioned, if they're already clients, you've probably had that conversation with them and kind of calibrated and built the financial plan. And so everything should be somewhat agreed upon, right? So, uh, and you kind of make it clear that this is how we'll be invested during good times and bad times. Will there be little, you know, tweaks or tactical changes we can make along the way? Yes. But uh, we're definitely not going to overhaul the portfolio, especially during emotional times. Yeah. What gets me fired up is I can't give you an opinion on the portfolio without understanding what your objectives are. So I don't care the fact that portfolio is much more interesting to talk about and it's what makes the financial news you shouldn't own any investment unless it's connected to some sort of objective or particular goal so one of the things i talked about in here in the personal finance food chain the portfolio is subordinate to the financial plan and essentially everything in the portfolio has to run through the thread of the financial plan Sorry, I'm distracted because I, I had to find out if this guy did ever win a gold medal after hearing the story. And I, I think he did win a gold in a different category, right? He did. The problem, we won't go too far, but I would encourage, <laughs> uh, let's see, what is his name again? Is it Matthew Emmons? Yeah. So you can Google search him. Unfortunately, this happened to him like three times. No way. So he didn't miss the target each time, but I think there's three different Olympic events now, again, he has gold in other events. This is the 50-meter uh, three-shot three, three shot rifle, okay. I, I believe. But he did win gold in some other categories. But I think it's in three different Olympics that he went into the last shot with a healthy lead and ended, Something up, happened. ended up settling for, like, bronze or oh, this man. time eighth place. So, yeah, it's one of those moments that I'm sure haunts him. But like you said, at least he has some sort of uh, gold medal in these other categories he competed in. I'm glass half full. You know, I'm delusional optimist. I'm like, oh, well, may maybe he came back and won the next time. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it it's such a good analogy because 
you know, he didn't win a competition and it, it probably haunts him. But uh, if you're saving for retirement or if you have goals of, you know, building wealth for family members or helping grandkids with education or whatever those goals are, um, it would probably haunt you the same way if you aren't able to do those things because you made a mistake. This last week, or maybe it was the week before, a client introduced me to one of their friends and said, hey, can you review some of the recommendations their advisor gave? They're feeling a little unsettled with how things are going in 2022, and they just wanted kind of a, a second pair of eyes. So I review these four bullet points of the advice that was given, and I'm not going to go soft on this advisor. None of these had anything to do with the financial plan. The advisor was living in this idea of, hey, here's what's going on in 2022, so we're going to adjust this, we're going to change this, and we're going to recalibrate that. And to me, I'm like, hey, I'm sure that's satiating to the person that feels like we need to take action, but this is not linked at all back to the objectives. And I don't have a better way to say it. If you're creating a investment portfolio without looking through the lens of the financial plan, it is absolutely foolish. Is that what made the uh, friend you were introduced to feeling unsettled that they were changing things or, uh, or were they just unhappy with the results so far? First one, unhappy with the results. And they're saying, hey, now this pivot is getting suggested. What do you think about this pivot? And I have a tough time because I really don't like to criticize somebody, you know, based on one thing I read and I don't know the person and it does make me feel uncomfortable because obviously I'm going to have a bias towards the way that we do things. But if you give me a little opening to do it, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. I can't stop myself. Yeah, it's it's uncomfortable, but I, I, kudos to the person for recognizing like, wait, I thought we had a long-term plan. Why are we changing things now? Most people, that's what they want to hear. And uh, we joked about it on the last podcast that they, people interested in becoming clients say, yeah, can you believe my last advisor told me to stay the course? Oh, can't believe them. And you're like, ah, that's what I would say. <laughs> but uh, kudos to the person for, you know, seeking a second opinion. And you're right. It, it, if you have the opening, you have to be transparent. You, you can't sit there and sugarcoat it. And I'll speak in a very honest fashion. When you compare the results of a lot of the clients that I'm responsible for, 2020 was difficult. When you don't own a lot of the positions that were benefiting from this stay-at-home movement that was short-lived, mm -hmm. your portfolio didn't look like the market. So if you stayed away from things that you thought were expensive and you leaned into things that you thought were quality businesses, you weren't rewarded in 2020. Now, again, it's a different story in 2022. And luckily, uh, a lot of us have uh, short-term, uh, we, we only have short-term memories, right? Right. So we really focus on the here and now. But I will say, if you are going to your portfolio first and you're not relating it back to some sort of objective, you're going about it the wrong way. You're missing the target. Yeah, it's, it's that classic thing that we laugh about, but that ready, fire, aim. Ultimately, the financial plan, and I don't, when I say financial plan, I, I'm using the term as in planning. I don't think it's one document, but the financial plan should encompass this idea of how will this portfolio behave? What type of return expectation should I have? And how does this fulfill these future objectives that I laid out, whether it's retirement or paying for college or buying a second home? And as I was writing this article, I told you I was fired up because the thing that is most unsettling for me is the folks that I've seen that don't have a financial plan and are just focused on the portfolio are uh, folks with significant balance sheets. You know, and, and again, 
it's all relative, right? But I've come across a lot of people with $10, 15000000 million that they've accumulated and saved. And if they were able to save that much, they probably had, for most of them, a healthy income, which probably related to an expensive lifestyle. And sometimes seeing those numbers, they can't relate it back to, is it enough? And the problem is, if you don't do the planning, it doesn't surface on year one of retirement or year two or year three. The concern is outliving your nest egg, which happens on the back end. Yeah, normally it happens when it's uh, almost too late to make changes. Uh, I'm glad that you said that. When you talk about planning, it's not just one document. I think sometimes people misunderstand that. They they want to run a cash flow analysis, three different scenarios, have a 90-page bounded book and go, great. All right, I'm all done. I got my financial plan. I'm all set. But that's not the case. Uh, the, the inputs in the plan are much more important as far as risk tolerance, expected rate of return. And that's how you design the allocation based off the goals you're trying to accomplish. And I think the finance industry has done folks wrong because people look puzzled when they say, hey, Sean, go ahead and give me an opinion on this portfolio. Here's all my holdings. And your response is, hey, tell me a little bit more about the objective of the financial plan. And their answer are kind of cookie cutter finance industry words where it says, you know, I want to preserve wealth and I want to be conservatively moderate. And you're like, wait, where's the, where's, where does the rubber meet the road? Like, what do you, what do you actually want to do with these resources? You know, I had a great conversation with the client yesterday that was on vacation and they're saying, Hey, we're really thinking about buying a second home here. Is that feasible? And I got so excited. Because for that person, they had a balance sheet that dwarfs their lifestyle and their expenses, and there's a lot of room for them to enjoy the fruits of their labor. And I was like, I'm very excited when you come home from this vacation. Let's book a time in the calendar, and let's start talking about how do we model in the second home, and then all the pieces that go with it. How do we finance it? Um, How do we go about picking the appropriate home? Um, What are your wants and wishes, and and how do we kind of uh, wrestle through all of that? And knowing... For this particular person, hey, just keep in mind, the reason that you've accumulated the wealth that you have is because you are frugal, and and that's okay. But as I often say, bad habits are hard to break. Good habits are hard to break too. Mm -hmm. So there is this idea of transitioning from being a great saver to being a great spender. And one of the things we talked about, I'm not talking about buying a boat, an asset that's going to depreciate over time. There's a huge cost of upkeep and things like that. We're talking about buying a real asset a piece of property that you guys want to spend time in. For me, it was almost like creating another little savings account, right? It was just going to be equity in this home. But again, this transition from being a good spender to being a good saver, or from being a good saver (laughs) to being a good spender is very difficult for people. Yeah. Another part of the article that I really liked they talked about is when you're explaining to Nicole, like what we do and how the other side of the coin is financial planning. And uh, when I got to the next part when I was reading it and you talked about thermostats and thermometers um, I thought you were going in a different direction with it but it definitely hit home because if you think about it you mentioned that the financial plan is is kind of the thermostat it sets the temperature of the room and uh, that's the allocation and the investments chosen right um, we are not a thermometer and your story about the other advisor reminds me of a thermometer because clients want to hear during times of turmoil oh we're going to change this 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 and this don't worry they, they, it makes them feel better if we are making adjustments when the the real answer is the advisor should be the, the thermostat as well and kind of set the tone that like, hey, we knew this was going to happen. We're going to stay the course 
And this is why we're not investing for the next six to 12 months, we're investing the next 20 years. And then most of the time, you can kind of bring the client back down to the ground, they take a deep breath, or you, you can normally talk it out with them. It's funny that you mentioned that, because I know you've had this happen a few times this year, where somebody calls you, and they're like, hey, John, I just want to let you know, I'm, I'm not freaking out. And you're like, cool, good, I'm glad you're not freaking out. You're down 3%. Yeah. Uh, this portfolio is built with kind of these guardrails and, and just reminding them. So again, you, it's this constant bringing folks back to the perspective of if the financial plan needs X sort of return to achieve your goal, then we have to accept this sort of volatility in order to get that type of reward. Well, you talked about here too, this idea of thermostat and thermometer. I actually, I read that a long time ago. I should give a hat tip to whoever originally wrote it. I don't remember. But for me, it's something that I kind of constantly think about or or, or meditate on is that these two apparatuses, you know, at first mention seem like they're the same thing. But then you when you really think about it, you you start to think, oh, a thermostat can set the temperature in the room, Mm -hmm. but a thermometer is just going to read the temperature in the room. And then you start to realize, oh, this has, this relates to so much of life. Yeah. And in the sense that like you mentioned, so many portfolios that I see, we would call thermometer portfolios, that whatever is going on in the world, that portfolio is going to mimic and start to look like that, right? You and I haven't talked to clients about tips probably for the last decade, right? yet I've had seven conversations about tips in the last, call it six months, mm-hmm. right? We probably haven't heard the mention of of gold or commodities or things like that for a really long time, maybe back to 2009, yet topic of conversation, right? It's that thermometer portfolio that let me look at the landscape, let me get a temperature of what's going on, and let me start adjusting accordingly. The hard thing to do is, regardless of the good times or bad times, to build conviction around a portfolio that fulfills your long-term objectives and Again, we hate saying it, but to be able to stay the course or follow the plan. Did you have a feeling that this was going to sound repetitive from one of the other articles? That's why you put the broken record part in? Well, I mean, the thing I thought about, I, Sean's referencing, I, I put one of the parts of the article is called broken record. And it's basically saying, hey, if you want to accuse me of regurgitating the same advice to you in many different forms, you're exactly right. <laughs> And uh, I referenced Jason Zweig, an author I really like from the Wall Street Journal. He basically says, hey, the toughest thing when you're writing about personal finance is that there's you know, a handful, call it 10 financial truths that are extremely important. And you're kind of rotating through those 10 truths and trying to present them in a different fashion. But uh, you and I, we've talked about this from a leadership perspective. Um, are there folks that we've come across that we've given particular advice and that's best for their careers? And then we turn around and they're doing kind of the exact opposite of what we encourage. So sometimes you have to repackage that, reframe it, and deliver it again. Yeah, that way you know that, okay, it wasn't received well the first time or they didn't believe in it. And it, that managing behavior kind of goes both ways with whether it's an employee or a client. Yeah, as a Bible-believing Christian, I'll tell you, uh, reading through the Bible you know, half my life, ever since I've been a Christian, there are things that just jump off the page that I've read before, but mean a whole different thing to me. So in in marketing terms, I've heard it said, again, I don't know if this is true, Brian Tong will nod yes or no, whether this is true, but it's something like 
folks have to see, you know, a, a logo or brand or something seven times before it really kind of penetrates and pushes through, uh, you know, whether they show interest in buying it or, or whatnot. So this exposure thing is huge. So yeah, you kind of, as an advisor, have to be a broken record. And it also, I would say as a, an investor, trusting in an advisor, you kind of do want to test them. You want to see, hey, is Sean's advice going to be the same in the good times and the bad times? Because if it's not, there's a huge concern there because you've hired Sean to basically help you protect you from yourself. Because, yeah. right, the, the number one worst enemy for most investors is themselves. Right. Yeah, you're, you're hiring someone to be the voice of reason or the steady hand during the storm. And we kind of wrapped up the article, well, two parts, but I, I wanted to talk about your greatest edge. If you talk to folks on Wall Street that have lived a life as an analyst, what they're going to talk about if you say, hey, I'm going to do X portfolio or I'm going to take this strategy or approach, they're going to ask you a really simple question, Sean. What's your edge? Do you have information that nobody else has that you get it quicker than anybody? Um, do you understand an industry better than anybody does and, and you know how to assess the companies? What is your edge? Now, I wrote an article. We can probably conclude that you're, you or I or Sean we're not going to be the smartest guy or gal on Wall Street. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not going to outsmart our way to superior outcomes. But where is our edge? Our edge is going to mean two places. And I'm going to say that's in temperament and time horizon. Because you know your peers, not that you're competing against your neighbor for, for performance, but essentially what's going to get you in trouble is making bad decisions in tough times. So we know your temperament's going to be key. The other part is your time horizon. We talked about this last week, and I'm going to continue to say this because I don't think it's something obvious. When you're measuring something like a stock portfolio over a short period of time, the dispersion of potential outcomes is very wide. Sean and I were at lunch yesterday, and I made a joke. I can predict with fairly good accuracy what the stock market's going to do next year. Not, we'll say 95% accuracy. It's probably going to be between down 30% and up 30%. <laughs> and we laugh, right? Because it's like, oh, well, thanks. But what I'm saying, the longer you stay invested, that dispersion of outcomes gets tighter. Mm -hmm. So again, I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but when you go to a 10-year time horizon, it's not negative 30 and uh, positive 30. It starts to look like negative 2, positive 15. Now you go out 20 years, then there's actually not a, a, a recorded time for something like the S&P 500 to be negative over that period. So again, as those outcomes shrink in their potentials for you know the range, you start to see that the probabilities become in your favor. So what's your edge? Your edge is your time horizon. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I said it earlier in the podcast, but we're not investing for the short term. If, if you need the money, if the purpose of the money is to be used in the next year or two, it shouldn't be invested in stocks anyways. So uh, if you are comfortable with a longer time horizon and the volatility that's associated with it, then uh, you should create a financial plan and uh, have an allocation that matches your goals. And it's interesting, no matter how much we say this on the podcast, the, the natural response a lot of time when I'm I've had this happen again. This is why I'm fired up. 
I've had this happen to me so many times in the last three weeks where somebody's naughty and they're like, yes, yes, yes. But what do you think about that particular stock in my portfolio? <laughs> and I'm like, I would love to give you an opinion on that. And I will. But I need you to first take a time out and then you need to explain what is the objective of this money. Because if there is no objective, then we could really own anything. And we really know, don't know how to assess that thing um, or kind of hold it accountable or benchmark it or anything without some sort of plan in place. For me, I got kind of to the end of this article and I just started thinking about Ikea. Yeah. yeah I was laughing. I was about to interject and say, and then you won't be able to build that dresser because I've had to build multiple cribs or dressers or tables from Ikea. And uh, without the directions, I'd be in trouble. Even with the directions, sometimes I find myself in trouble. Yeah, I, I'm guessing. Now, my father-in-law is very helpful. So he uh, usually is by my side making sure that I don't mess anything up because I will build a table upside down. But one thing you do at the beginning, typically, correct me if I'm wrong, but you open the box, you open the directions, and then everything's lettered, right? A, B, C. So you kind of lay everything out, get a lay of the land of where everything is, and then you go step by step. Am I wrong? No, that sounds right. Yeah, you go step by step. So again, we can laugh about it, but go grab a piece at Ikea, take it home, put the directions in the shredder, go ahead and build it. And if you think you're like laughing at me, you're like, yeah, no way, that's silly. That's what most people I'm seeing are doing. That's kind of wing it. Yeah. They're, they're basically saying, hey, financial plan, I never made it. Or if I did make it, I'm going to put it in the shredder. But now let me go build a portfolio. And so much of personal finance is backwards, where portfolio comes first and financial plan comes second. And again, I'm going to go back to that same thing. In the food chain of personal finance, the portfolio is subordinated to the financial plan. And what Sean was talking about earlier is, you know, Folks ask me, hey, what exactly does an advisor do? Some people are scared to ask that question. It's a great question. And I always tell them the same thing. My wife has asked me that question a handful of times. <laughs> so I always say, hey, two parts. What does an advisor do? Investment management and financial planning. If you're calling in interested in working with us, you probably have a good idea of what we do with investment management. It's probably what you want to talk about the most. But then you have this catch-all word, financial planning, which is so robust right? Because it's estate, it's tax, it's insurance, it's all these different things. And it's probably more of the controllable bucket, right? We understand it once we build a portfolio that is strategic and in the direction of what would fulfill the financial plan, we're really kind of in the uncontrollable world of what markets do. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that they'd rather talk about the investment management because you almost can't get to that part without talking more about them and their life and their family and their goals. But uh, normally when someone's having a first conversation with you, they, they may have their guard up and they may be like, no, just tell me why your investments are better. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's not where we should start. Yeah. When I was critiquing this other advisor, one of the things I was asking, I would say, hey, point number two that this advisor is making right here, it says that we're going to stop doing this. We're going to stop buying, let's just call it international stocks. And we're going to start buying domestic stocks. Why did that thesis change? Well, they were like, I, I don't know. What was the thesis before? W was there strong conviction about that? And why are we pivoting? Are, are we pivoting because of the results that we've seen and we're just kind of capitulating? We've got to a pain point? Or is there uh, a laid out kind of mea culpa of saying, hey, we thought X and now we understand based on the landscape Y. I'm okay with people pivoting. 
but I'm not okay with people taking action just for the sake of taking action and saying, hey, I've got this box of Ikea parts. Here's a screw. Here's two pieces of wood. Let's just put them together. And I'm like, hey, time out. Is, are, do those two pieces even go together? And you're like, I don't know. I've got the tools. I can put this together. Why don't I just kind of bolt this onto this, right? As silly as that sounds, that's what I see every day when I'm talking to people about portfolios and plans. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm laughing about your analogy because I'm, I'm thinking of a time where I was building a dresser and I was following the instructions and it was uh, the drills were or the holes were drilled wrong. So I'm sitting there. My first thought, of course, is, oh, I'm doing something wrong. Nope. Sat there. And they were like, oh, we sent you the wrong piece. <laughs> so uh, but I, I really had nothing to add. I, I think that in a weird way, we do give similar advice in different ways, but it doesn't make it not true. Uh, it, it helps people and uh, I've had countless conversations, especially this year, you know, 2020 and 2022 were similar in different ways that I'm having constant conversations with people that say, yeah, you know, I'm not worried. I understand, but I stop to talk to them pretty often. <laughs> and it does make me wonder, hey, are we, are we kind of bought in on the long-term plan or are we still nervous about what's happening today or tomorrow? I am not fibbing right now to make some sort of comedic relief. I have built multiple things upside down. Like I, I went through the directions, I start building it, whether it's a table or I think the most recent thing I was building, our house is under construction and I needed to build a couple things for hanging clothes because our closets are whatever. And I got through most of it. And then I looked and I was like, hmm, the wheels are on top and the other parts on bottom. I had to take it all apart and do it again. Oh boy. So yeah, not my strong suit. I should call you. No. You come over and build stuff no, for no. me. Don't call me. So again, we won't uh, beat a dead horse there, but- if I'm fired up about something, somebody who has a lot of conversations with investors and uh, you know folks saving for retirement, planning for college, looking to buy a second home, I think minimally you should be interested in what I'm talking about because I have so many conversations and because there's themes across different investors. And I'm going to tell you one of those themes. It's very hard for people to prioritize the plan over the portfolio because it's a lot more interesting to talk about the portfolio. And especially if the portfolio feels like the dagger that's causing a lot of pain, it's very difficult for people to transition and say, hey, I'm feeling a lot of pain right now, Sean, but let's talk about the next 20 years. Uh, that is not a natural transition. But you have to look at where your edge is. Your edge is typically in time horizon because most investors are going to be short-sighted. Makes sense. Shakes his head, nothing to add. So we will ask that you rate the podcast five stars are preferred. All comments are welcome. Uh, you can email Sean or Trevor at tom at thebonsgroup.com. That's T-O-M at thebonsgroup.com. We really appreciate your readership, your listenership, if that's even a word. And we will be back next week with more of our thoughts on money. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future 
future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.